Let's just pray together as we look at these verses together. Father, we bow our heads before you this evening. We physically bow our heads, but Lord, we come and bow before you as our Creator God. Lord, we're conscious of our own weakness, of our own sinfulness, but we thank you for the hope that you've given us in Jesus Christ. And we thank you for Jesus as our Savior. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit who comes to enlighten our minds and move our hearts and make us do the things you want us to do to bring glory to your name. So Father, I just pray with you be with each one of us. Help me to relate this clearly and truthfully, but help each one of us just to allow you to speak into their minds and into their hearts that tonight would be significant for every single one of us. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. <clears throat> there are quite a number of things that I am passionate about in life, that I love about life. I love Saturday evenings. I love a good movie, usually if it's a true story at the end of it. I love sitting at home watching a movie with a Chinese meal on my knee. I love going to watch Ulster playing rugby when they win at home, which sadly they didn't today. I love playing golf in Port Stewart. I love playing cricket in the past, but I love watching cricket with friends. I love going to London. I love at the end of the evening walking up Regent Street and looking at the shops. Um, I love doing that. These are just some of the things that I love doing. There are many others that I love doing as well. There's some things that annoy me intensely. Bad manners. Not saying thank you to someone. What really annoys me is our political situation in this country and through Brexit. What annoys me is arrogant people who look superior to you. What really annoys me is a lack of kindness sometimes that we see. What sometimes annoys me is confusion. What annoys me and grieves me is friends who are seriously ill at the moment. And sometimes the negative things outweigh the positive things. And you can lose hope and direction. <clears throat> so it's good for us to remind ourselves of God's hope for us. What is our hope? In the light of our situation, both as individuals and as a community, there is no other answer for us other than the one Paul tells us in verse 2. It is Jesus Christ and him crucified. It is Jesus Christ and him crucified. We have all been so easily distracted by our own desires, our desire for worth, for experience, for meaning, for hope, for purpose. And in turn, we've been diverted away from the one hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the source of the answers of our needs. And in this turbulent and confused society in which we live, where God has often been neglected and re often relegated to being either dead or irrelevant, and where self has been enthroned to be the center of our own experience, we wonder why there is so much confusion. The hope of Jesus Christ seems to have been sidelined, but at such a terrible cost. 
so-called liberal thinking, which is anything but liberal and certainly is not tolerant. But we can allow this reaction about these people to rob us of our peace and of our security and of our joy in Jesus Christ. We need to recapture this truth, this hope that we have in Jesus. Paul tells us three things about this hope we have in Jesus in these verses in 1 Corinthians. And the first he tells us there is a difference that we need to realize. Paul, in the verse that we read in chapter 1 and then back to chapter 2 of Corinthians, gives us something for us to think about. He tells us that there is a difference that we need to think about and ultimately realize the truth of it. This difference we see comes in several ways. First of all, we see the difference between the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God. Look at the second half of this verse. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, did not know God. Paul clearly points out to us there is a huge gap, a huge difference between God's wisdom as revealed in Jesus and in man's wisdom as it struggles to unravel the universe. The wisdom of man, as it says in verse 22, the Jews look for miraculous signs, the Greeks look for wisdom, so, which is so self-absorbed and not God-centered. Paul is essentially saying what good is philosophy or self-absorbed human wisdom to us at the bed, at the sick bed of a dear one or of an open grave. The, this, the, the wisdom of this society of this world has no answers. There are many intelligent and wise men and women who are not necessarily people of Christian faith or of any faith, and they contribute much that is good to our society. But there are some who, however, seem to glory in their arrogant and godless attitude to life and to belittle Christians. They are consumed with this wisdom which is self-absorbed and self-reliant. I doubt if many of you will know who this man is. He's a man called Ernest Hemingway. You may have actually read some of his books. He's a great author, a great thinker. He was well known. He had his picture on Life magazine. And he was admired by society. But he had no time for his creator God. He said this, Life is just a dirty trick. A short journey from nothingness to nothingness. However, this man, Ernest Hemingway, one day early in July 1961, went to the basement of his house. He picked out his favourite gun. He went up to the porch of his home and he opened his mouth and shot himself, leaving his wife to find him and live with that memory. Life for him and the wisdom that he'd learnt was from nothing to nothing the huge and complete difference between man's wisdom and God's wisdom is seen so clearly. It's also seen so clearly 
in the difference between those who are perishing and those who are being saved. If you look at verse 27, God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. The Galilean carpenter who died on a cruel cross in Jerusalem is considered foolish. How could he ever answer the, answer the needs of 21st century modern man? Know the wisdom of this age. It may enjoy Christmas season, but sadly and often will not go the way of the cross with Jesus. As they would consider that foolishness. Verse 18 says this, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And also the difference is seen in chapter 2 and verse 14. The man without the Spirit, that's without Christ in their lives, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are of foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned or understood. Some of you will recognize this man if you're into politics at all. This is Tim Farron. He's a Christian and was the leader of the Liberal Democratic Party. Sadly, Tim Farron, under a lot of media questioning, said things to please the press, which he actually didn't believe. And he was challenged, and probably he rightly resigned as the leader of that party. He tried to please and to run with the worldly wise press, and he was caught out. He was asked in a meeting at All Souls Church in London that 2017, when all of this happened, must have been one of the worst years of your life. But he replied, no. In fact, it was one of the best. Because in that year, I once again stood up for God's wisdom, despite the price that he paid in losing the leadership of his party. It may have appeared like foolishness to his MP colleagues and to the TV and to the press. But the wisdom of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Galilean carpenter, was far more important and precious to him. This difference that Paul talks about and we see here is not the difference in race, it's not the difference in color, it's not the difference in intellect or in social status, it is the difference between my wisdom, our wisdom, the world's wisdom, and God's wisdom. It's the difference between a perishing life against a saved life. It's the difference between a spiritual man or woman against a non-spiritual man or woman. It's the difference between being a Christian against not being a Christian. When we all head home this evening, we will probably, more than likely, all walk out the same door. But you and I also will walk out an unseen door, but seen to God. And it is marked faith. And it's faith in this Galilean carpenter, Jesus Christ, as our Savior. Or we will walk out the door marked unbelief, but we'll walk out that door on our own. That's the difference that we need to think about. 
The second thing that Paul tells us about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ is that there is a message that needs to be heard. Paul's message is very clear. His message is the good news. We see it in verse 17 in chapter 1. Christ did not send me to baptize, he said, but to preach the gospel, the good news. Paul says there is good news in a bad news world. There is hope to our confused society. He puts it another way in verse 23 of chapter 1. We preach Christ crucified. I wonder, did anyone speak to Ernest Hemingway about the good news of Jesus Christ? Or did they pass him by? I want to ask you a question. Why should Saul of Tarsus, as his old name, as he used to be called, why would he be saying this? Why would he be talking like this? Saul hated Christians. Saul was a very religious Jew, up to his neck and keeping the rules and regulations. He was intellectually very bright. He despised this Galilean carpenter and wanted to eradicate his followers. He stood and watched Stephen, one of Jesus' disciples, being stoned to death and was pleased. He went to Damascus to find more of these wretched Christians. There was blood on Paul's hands. What made him a messenger of this good news? It was first and foremost his relationship with Jesus. Paul says in Philippines, to me, to live is Christ. To me, to live is Christ. He discovered his religious rules and behavior could not answer the questions of sin and of guilt. In this verse, Paul tells us it was personal to him. To me, he says. In this verse, Paul tells us it was practical to him to live with Christ, he says. And finally, Paul tells us it was possible for him, is Christ. Jesus made it possible. It was personal, it was practical, and it was possible. This changed everything for Paul, including his name. This is the message that needed to be told. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul's experience was like our own. Some were left unchanged. Some mocked him. and Others were violent towards him. Yet the message of the cross was the good news of sin's defeat and of sin's forgiven to those who believe. When we tell this message of the cross, Jesus says and promises that he'll draw people to himself. Our role as Christian people is to tell people about the cross and the forgiveness possible, and Jesus will draw people to himself. The cross signals sin's defeat. The cross draws sinners to Jesus. The cross demands a response. No one but no one can stand at the cross and walk away without a response. Either, either they will say this is foolish or they will say, 
Only a sinless man would die for sinful men and women like you and me. There's a difference to be understood. There's a message to be told. And then finally, there's a salvation to be found. Verse 21 says this, For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, but God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those. To save those who worked very hard at being very good? No. To save those who keep the rules? No. To save those who perform for their family and church friends? No. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe, who believe in Jesus Christ, the carpenter from Galilee. who cast all the burdens of their sin on him, to have their guilt dealt with and walk with him through life, both on special days and on ordinary days, who then in a strength turn away from their sin, they repent and they walk with Jesus as he takes residence in their lives. Guys, many of you who are sinners, saved by grace, rejoice what Jesus has and is doing in your life. But you're also acutely aware, as I am, of our weaknesses and our failures. But Jesus is our strong and firm hope, despite ourselves. He can be trusted, and he will do it. In a world of chaos and confusion, Jesus will be our saviour. He can be trusted. He will do it. For others, maybe you're drawn to Jesus, not by me, but by Jesus himself. I would encourage you, respond to him and accept his salvation. So whether you walk out tonight, you walk out through the door of faith with many other people but especially with Jesus Christ. You don't walk out alone to a perishing eternity. Sadly, some of you may feel Jesus was just a foolish Galilean carpenter and therefore of no relevance to your life. You will just join a world who has its own wisdom that leads sadly to confusion and to destruction. There is a difference we realized we need to realize God's wisdom or the world's wisdom. They are so far apart. There's a message of Jesus Christ crucified and there is a salvation to be found in those who believe in Jesus, the carpenter for Galilee. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your word.
that brings us comfort, brings us clarity of thinking, but also brings us comfort when we realize that we can trust Jesus to be our Savior. But Lord, we know we have a world out there that is cynical and feels that it understands and it has great wisdom and Lord has ignored you as their creator God. We pray, Lord, you'd help each one of us to take great confidence in the fact that you are our Savior. You've promised never to let us go, no matter what we may have to face, even sometimes what ridicule we may have to face, maybe some laughter, maybe even some violence. Maybe we have to face challenging times. You have promised to go with us, Lord. You'll walk with us. And through your Holy Spirit, you live within us and transform us to become not better people like ourselves, but to become more like Jesus Christ, your Son. And so, Father, I just pray for each one of us as I pray for myself that the hope that we've heard and read about this evening in Jesus Christ will be a reality to each one of us. May we rejoice in the fact that you love us and that Jesus Christ is our Savior and died for us and has taken our sin and our guilt. And the Holy Spirit will come and live within us to help us to do the things you want us to do. So, Father, I pray you'd bless each one of us. And, Lord, for some maybe tonight who are saying, look, I feel drawn to Jesus tonight. I, 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 need this, I have a sense of my need of a Savior Father, I just pray in the quietness of this moment they would just respond and say, Lord, I need Jesus to be my Savior. I want you to forgive me for my sin. I want you to come and live within me that your Holy Spirit might transform my life. It will not change my name, but it will change who I am because I'm now a child of the living God, a follower of the carpenter from Galilee who will bring us to eternity. Lord, I pray for every soul that is bowed here this evening. Pray your blessing upon them. Ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who does love us dearly and truly has not finished with any one of us yet.